going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 to 38. And uh, if you're taking notes or you're looking for a title to this message today, it's this, Living as Laborers. Living as Laborers. And it says this in Matthew 9, 35 to 38. This is kind of where we're going to be focusing in on this morning. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, his closest followers, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the God of the harvest to send out his laborers into the harvest. Let's just quickly pray for God's word today. You know, it's important that we don't just uh, hear the word kind of with, with eyes and ears that are that it's just words on, on paper, but these words are life transforming and we need to open our heart to that today, this morning. So why don't you join with me again in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you that it is there to challenge, equip, and to shape us to become more and more like your son, Jesus. And today, Father, I pray that we would all take something away from your word. God, it wouldn't just be words on a paper, but it would be life transforming today. Lord, I pray that we would be hungry for revelation, not necessarily from a man, but from you today, God. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you stir something new in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, these are... Uh, four verses that we've uh, read this morning, uh, they signal a, a change of pace, a change of course in Matthew's gospel. If you don't know who Matthew is, Matthew's one of Jesus's closest followers, one of his 12 disciples, and he authored the book of Matthew. And uh, he, he signals a change of pace, a change of direction in these verses. Verse 35 marks the end point of a point that Matthew is trying to convey to the readers of his gospel. And the point finishes here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, but it starts all the way back a few chapters in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And that's going to come up on the screen now. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And as you can see, for those who are looking at the screen right now, we've got Matthew 4.23, and we've got Matthew 9.35. And as you kind of have a quick read of those two verses, you can pretty much see that they're basically identical in what they are saying. Uh, you know, uh, a few words change here and there, like Galilee in, in 4.23, but in 9.35... It uses the word cities and villages. And so Matthew here is actually using this technique that's actually quite unique only to the Bible. This technique, this writing technique called inclusio. Inclusio, look, look at that. I just said that with all of the, the Greek and Italian vibes right there. But it's basically spelled inclusion without the N. Inclusio. And when I first saw that word, I was like, oh, there's a typo. Uh, in this uh, in this study book here, but it's actually a real word. It's used to describe this technique, and what inclusio is? It's this Bible technique to bracket or to book 
and an idea. So the author uh, first uses the first part of the idea and then as he explains the point and explains the idea, he will basically repeat that same verse again to show to the reader, okay, I've finished that point. I've finished that thing that I'm trying to convey to you, that, that idea that I'm trying to show you. I think of it like a sandwich. I like eating. Eating's so good. Who loves eating in this place? Come on. If you're here today, you probably like eating because you're alive and your heart's beating. But think of it like a sandwich. Matthew 4.23 is the top part of the bun. And the bottom part of the bun is Matthew 9.35. And everything in between is the meat of the idea that Matthew is trying to explain. You with me? We're going a bit of Bible college here today. You're right with that? Is that all good? We're here to like get equipped by the Word of God. And so Matthew uses this technique. Cool, 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 Sam. What's the point? Here's the point. Here's three things Matthew's trying to show us in between those chapters and verses. Number one, Matthew's trying to show us that Jesus physically went throughout cities, villages, and synagogues, right? It's not rocket science. Just basically breaking down this verse here. Number two, He's trying to show that Jesus taught and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And thirdly, Matthew's point is that he wants to show you that also Jesus healed every disease and sickness and affliction that came his way. Still with me. So Matthew then chapter 5, because 23 is the last verse of chapter 4. Matthew 5 to 7 is uh, this amazing account of the Sermon on the mount and uh, we can see here that Matthew's trying to prove and show that Jesus went about preaching teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus if you're here with us in term two for house connects we we picked apart the sermon on the mount because it's the the the, um, you know our world has advanced in many areas but the moral teachings of Jesus on the sermon of the mount have not been beaten have not been challenged these are the highest of high teachings that has ever been taught things like love your neighbor don't hate your enemy things like the beatitudes being salt and light christ came to fulfill the law lust divorce the lord's prayer giving to the needy and laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven which was also a series we did earlier this year seek first the kingdom of god and all these things will be added to you so that's matthew chapter 5 through to 7 and so matthew's proved that point jesus came to teach And he did that. And then he goes on in chapters 8 to 9 with countless, literally, story after story after story with a few more teachings in there. Stories of miracles. Jesus heals a leper. Jesus heals many at Peter's house. Jesus uh, calms the storm. Jesus heals two men with demons. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus heals a woman who had the issue of blood and raises a girl from the dead. Jesus heals two blind men. And he heals a demon-possessed mute man. And literally, after that story of the demon-possessed mute man, we get the verse, Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee to the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. Bookmark. Matthew's like, okay, I hope you see that this is what Jesus did. Why, Why is Matthew doing this why is he using this technique why is he trying to show us that this is what Jesus did and this is what Jesus is about because after Matthew 9 35 
comes Matthew 9, 36. And this is the change in course that Matthew takes the rest of his gospel. Still with me here. Matthew 36 says this. After going around everywhere from town to town, village to village, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus here is making this point, and Matthew, as he's writing this gospel, is making this point that as Jesus has finished this tour from city to city, to village to village, from synagogue to synagogue, from healing to from healing, from healing to miracle to miracle, Jesus' conclusion is after seeing all those multiples of people, his conclusion is. These people are harassed and these people are helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. You're seeing the picture that Matthew's trying to paint here. Jesus has finished this long tour, day in, day out, not driving or flying planes, walking around, going from city to city, region to region. And his conclusion is, oh my goodness, my people are harassed. My people are helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And so from this place, Jesus, from this place of heartbreak and knowing that more needs to be done to to help people, Jesus is then moved to action. And he says this in the next verse, in verse 37, then Jesus turns to his disciples. And then he says this phrase that might not make sense right now, but it will in a moment. The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus previously uses a metaphor of sheep to describe the state of the people of Israel. But then he immediately shifts to another metaphor, not necessarily to actually talk about the people, but he's talking about the state of the situation. What, how this situation of helpless, harassed sheep, the people of Israel, could actually be helped. And he says the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there, there are so many people who need to know my message. There are so many people who need to be delivered. There are so many people who need to hear the proclaimed good news. And who knows if that's still true today. There are so many who need to hear the news. There are so many who need to hear the amazing news of Jesus. But Jesus comes to this conclusion, but the laborers are few. So let's just quickly recap. Jesus goes from town to town, village to village, synagogue to synagogue, preaching and proclaiming the good news, healing every disease, affliction, and demon-possessed person that approaches him as he's going along this journey. And he concludes, and his heart is broken. My people are like sheep that are being harassed and helpless. They need a shepherd. Then he decides to turn to his disciples, and he says, My disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. And so Jesus actually makes this statement. In other words, Jesus is saying, the harvest, the harvest is an issue. The, the harvest is the issue, the thing that we want to fix. But the greater issue is that there's not enough laborers to bring in the harvest. 
Jesus shifts from talking about people to talking about the situation. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. There, there are thousands, there are so many people who need to hear my message. But disciples, the bigger problem is that there are few laborers to bring in the harvest of souls, to bring in the harvest of people into God's kingdom. And so literally a few verses later, Jesus empowers the 12 to become his official disciples and they're sent out to be his people to proclaim the good news. Quick pause. One of the most amazing things right now, the time that we kind of live in, is uh, we live in a post-COVID world now. Who's kind of sick of hearing that phrase when you watch the news and listen to the radio? But it's true. We're, we're living post-pandemic. We're, we're living post a kind of a, a traumatic event for our world. And, and one of the real interesting things, and I'm a bit of a nerd for kind of watching social kind of things that are happening. But one of the interesting things is to watch the aftershocks of COVID. If you're not sure what an aftershock is, when an earthquake happens, when the initial earthquake happens, it's measured, it's, it's the biggest point of that earthquake. But everything that flows from then, all the tremors or the aftershocks that happen, the, the smaller earthquakes, they kind of continue on. And so an aftershock of COVID is all these things that are happening because the main event is over, but the aftershocks of, of what COVID brought and what it not only just did to our health and the healthcare system, but everything else that was affected because of what happened in COVID. And, uh, you know, for some months now, we've been experiencing in our society these after effects or these aftershocks of COVID. And I don't want to you know, kind of overwhelm you this morning. But there's actually quite a few after effects that are happening in our world. You only need to watch the news for five minutes to see what's, what's going on. But here are a few that our government kind of released in a report. Uh, the first one here is that our healthcare system is still recovering from an intense two years, from an intense two-year period, that the, the system itself has been identified, that it's broken, that it needs help, but also the people who are working it tired and, and, and rightfully so worn out from the last two years that have happened. And so that's an aftershock. That's an after effect of a main event. One of the things that they've raised is that mental health cases are actually peaking right now because of the, uh, the isolation, the loneliness and the anxiety that people experience during the COVID period. And I know here in Perth, we kind of didn't kind of really feel the full impact of COVID, but there's still people in our community who are affected with isolation, anxiety, and loneliness. And of course, over in the eastern states, it would have been even higher. Uh, the education system has reported that because of the two years of disrupted schooling in high schools, that it's affecting literacy results, that young people have been affected by what's happened in the last two years. And our last one here is that manufacturing is still trying to catch up with what's happened in the last few years. And if you've been waiting for a car or waiting for something to come overseas, you've been waiting for quite a long time, which has, of course, raised the, the price of secondhand purchases and all this sort of stuff, all these aftershocks that have happened because of COVID. But for me, the one that has been uh, most surprising and actually most interesting to kind of watch and observe is this labor shortage that we've been uh, experiencing right now. You know, you only need to go to your local cafe or supermarket or shopping center to see that 
the walls are filled with vacancies, jobs open, and all this sort of stuff. I've literally never seen so many A4 pieces of paper printed up with blue tack all over the shopping centers and stuff because there's so many workers that are needed in our community. And it's kind of this conundrum of like, shouldn't we have more jobs, but we've got less jobs? And there's so many reasons as to why this is happening. And I'm not an expert. I'm not going to go into it. I'm just making an observation. Right? I'm just making an observation this morning. But here's the thing. It's not just retail that is experiencing this labor shortage. This week I was listening and, and watching uh, interviews from Australian farmers who are out there farming and, and trying to produce their crops. And they're saying that they are are having the best yields or the best harvests that they've had in years uh, because many of them have been infected by drought over the last decade and, of course, more recently by the floods over east that have been really plaguing and destroying farmers' hopes of, of, of yielding a crop and yielding a harvest. So farmers are like, wait, wait, we're finally reaping an amazing harvest. We're finally reaping an amazing yield of, of produce, produce. But at the same time, Farmers are now being faced with a new challenge and they're, they're saying they simply do not have enough workers to go out into the field and reap that harvest, to go out and bring that produce in. And sadly, in some cases right now, farmers are saying we're literally leaving produce unharvested or leaving it out there to rot because we literally do not have enough workers to bring in the harvest. You see where I'm going with this this morning. Australian farmers are literally echoing Jesus' call right now. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's only few harvests. And in the natural, we're seeing this happen. But in the spiritual, this has been more true than ever. That there are so many people who need to, need to hear the good news of Jesus. That there are so many people who need to know that, that freedom can only be found in Jesus. That any freedom that's outside of Jesus is not total whole freedom. Because only the, the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords can actually bring true freedom in your life. And here's the honest truth. And this morning, uh, I, I want to preach this message in love. The honest truth is unless we do something about the harvest, the harvest will go unharvested. Unless we wake up to the reality that there are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions and billions of people in our world, if they go unharvested, they will not be able to be in eternity with God. In fact, I would go as far to say that they will actually rot in hell because they're going to be in eternal separation from God the Father. This should alarm us. This should wake us up to the reality that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And as Jesus said that over 2,000 years ago, it's still very true today. Uh, last year was, was the census year, and in the middle of this year, they kind of released the census data. It's going to come up on the screen right now. Uh, this here is the non-religious box that people, it was new and introduced this year to the census last year. And, and this is kind of the, the results that have come from that. This is not people who are Jewish, who are Hindu, who are Muslim, who, who are Buddhist. This is people who are saying, I don't have any belief. So add those numbers on top of these numbers, people who don't know Christ. But anyway, non-religious people in Australia, 9 million 
767,448. And that is a 38.4% of our population. Bringing it to WA, 1,130,094 people or 42.5% of Western Australians say, I don't have a religion. Or in other words, how we read it, people that don't know Jesus, who don't know the hope that we know. And bring it right down to a local level, the Warwick and Greenwood suburbs, there's 6,260 Two people or 45.6 of the population who say, I don't have any belief. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we hear these kind of messages that like, we need to go out, we need to preach the gospel, change the world. And it's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. I've heard it all before. But in our local area, there are more than 6,000 people who don't know Jesus who don't know the freedom that's available, that's within grasp, that, that mercy and grace and the love of God, which fulfills a person walking life with Jesus, just in our local suburbs. And you might not live in Greenwood or Warwick, but I'm sure the numbers are very similar in your suburbs as well, based upon the WA percentage as well. Church, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people... Like, I don't know if we're ever going to have a large enough building in Warwick to house 6,000 people. That, that's a lot of people. And we've got a lot of work to do. And we've got to get rid of our denominational ties, work with the local community, with other churches to see this 6,000 people in our local area come to know Jesus. You might be thinking, 6,000 people, Sam. That, that's, 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 that's a lot. And I know. But here's the thing. With man, it is impossible, but with God, it is possible. And as the Bible says, if you would humble yourself and begin to pray, I will heal your land. I will heal your land. And that's my honest prayer that we would see so many people come to know Jesus. But this morning, if the truth is that the harvest is plentiful, and we see that right now, it's plentiful. There's not a lack of harvest. If the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, there's actually an honest question that we need to ask ourselves. And the question is this, am I a part of the problem or am I a part of the solution to that question? If the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, am, am I a part of the problem of that equation or am I a part of the solution of that problem? And the solution is to become a laborer, to become someone who realizes and is awake to the reality that there are so many people who don't know Jesus. And you and I are the ones that have been tasked to bring about the good message, to bring about the hope of Jesus. The tragic problem is, is that we have many Christians who haven't taken that next step into living life as a laborer. That the Christian experience is just church on Sunday, maybe a few verses during the week, and, and that's kind of it. That's the Christian experience. But today, come on, I don't want that to be our church. I want us to be disciple house. You know, the end goal of discipleship is that you would follow Christ, you'd be changed to be more like Christ, and that overflow of being changed like Christ would be that you would go out, as Jesus says, that you would fish for men. Or in other terms, that we would go out and reap that harvest that Jesus wants us to see in our community. You might be sitting there thinking, you know, Sam, that there are specific people with the gift of evangelism or the gift of preaching and teaching to go and reach people. I'm, I'm not called to be a laborer. 
And to be honest, that's simply not true. The, the answer is that, yes, all of us are called to be laborers, to go see God's harvest field be brought into his kingdom. Matthew 28 verse 19 says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not just a call for pastors. This is not just a call for people who, 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 who read it and genuinely believe it. This is, this is a call for all of us to go out into the world and make disciples. 1 Peter verse, chapter 3, verses 15 says, Always, not sometimes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to, to, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I love this, but do this with gentleness and respect. And lastly this morning, Matthew 10, which is literally a few verses after what we're looking at this morning, Jesus sending out the disciples to go reap the harvest. He says this, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And he finishes with this, freely you have received, freely give. And the question I want to ask you this morning is this, did you freely receive Jesus? Did you freely receive his grace? Did you freely receive his mercy? The answer to that question is yes. And so if that's us, and it is, then Jesus says to us today, as he did to the disciples, if you freely received me, make sure that you freely give me out to others who don't know me. And so in conclusion this morning, I guess the next question is this. If, if I'm meant to be a laborer, Sam, how do I become a laborer? And that's a great question to ask because there's so many things and questions and sometimes even fears when it comes to being a laborer for Jesus. And this morning, I just want to cover a few things. And uh, this, these won't really be real down to, uh, really to the crux of practicals this morning. I want to cover that another day. But this morning, I want us to capture the heart of being a laborer. The first way that we become a laborer is this. Laborers transition from me, myself, and I. And what I mean by that is this. Laborers are others-focused. Laborers are just simply believers who have matured in Christ and realized that life is not about me, myself, and I. Laborers have had this revelation that my walk with God isn't simply about me, but it's actually about others through me. That my walk with Jesus, yes, is deeply personal, praise God. But that deeply personal relationship with God is meant to lead you to begin to share what God has done in your life and in your heart. Laborers are just believers who have realized that church is not about them. But that church, yes, is, is about you being a part of community and family. But the ultimate goal of church is that you would bring people into the family of God. Not necessarily about the brand of Disciple House, but bringing people into the kingdom of God that they would know Jesus and be a part of living with Jesus. You know, sadly today, church is kind of boiled down to just kind of shopping for church. Oh, I, I like this about this church and I like that about and the way that they do these things. And, and praise God for different methods and all that sort of stuff to reach different people. But if church for you is just about the way that that church does church, then you're not really going to church. Going to church is about being a part of a community that is actively wanting to reach out to the community and see others come to know Jesus. And the ultimate revelation that a laborer has is they transition from life being all about me. Life 
isn't all about us and what we want and what we want to do and what we want to achieve. Yes, God wants us to do amazing things, but the Christian life is a realization that when I gave my life to Christ, my life is not mine anymore, but my life's Christ. And whatever He wants me to do and whatever He calls me to do, I will do that in humble obedience. Here's the second thing. How do we become laborers? Laborers are upset, not content. Now, this doesn't give us a license to be emotionally crazy. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I'm saying is this. When Jesus uh, used that word in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This word compassion really doesn't translate well in English. It, it, the Greek word, is, it is, I know I say this all the time, but this word is so rich. It's got so many levels of revelation. And it literally means this, to be moved as to one's bowels. Yes, internal organs. And literally, the Greek word, the first half of it is uh, where we get our English word spleen. And so it's this idea that Jesus had compassion to the point where it ached him, where he had pain on the inside, that when he saw helpless people, that when he saw sheep without a shepherd, he, he wasn't kind of like, oh, okay. No, he was in pain. He was in agony that people didn't know him, that people didn't understand the, the message that he was proclaiming. He was to the point of upset when he's seeing people being demon-possessed, not spirit-filled, but demon-possessed. This word compassion, it, it, it doesn't really comprehend what is happening here. Jesus was moved with emotion. And Jesus was not content with people's lack of salvation. It moved him to a place where he deeply felt sorrowful. They are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so the idea here for us is that when we see broken people or when we see sin happen in people's lives, it shouldn't be something that kind of goes over our head, but it should actually deeply impact us. Not for judgment, not, not judging the person, but seeing sin in people's life, this concept of sin in people's life and going, I so wish that that wasn't a part of their life. You know, when we see the reports of what people are doing, you know, maybe even celebrities, they're doing this and they're doing that and things that are quite honestly shameful and, and not the Jesus way. When we read that, when we see that, we're like, oh yeah, cool. Or we're like, man, th these people need to know a better way. When we see people in family, in workplace, in our friends, you know, especially in our Australian culture, like given to drunkenness, like is that just so normal for us today that we, we actually don't feel pain when we see family members, friends and work colleagues wasting their life away with the consumption of alcohol that is totally unhealthy? Come on, this, this can't just be something that hits us and we forget about it. it. It should move us to the point where we are saddened enough not to judge the person, but to judge that sin and say, in Jesus' name, I pray that that sin would become come out of their life. It should move us to the prayer room. It should move us to a place of intercession to say, God, I pray for my brother. God, I pray for my work colleague. God, I pray for my friend. God, that there is a better way. I know there's a better way. That better way is you. And God, I, I don't, I'm not condemning the person. God, I just want to cast out the sin that's in their life. And Father, my prayer is that they would know you. That's my prayer. Laborers are not content with the state of the world. They're actually upset with what's happening in our culture and in our climate today. 
Second, uh, second last point here. Laborers are a help to the helpless. Jesus paints this picture that there are sheep who are, who are helpless. And Jesus says in this metaphoric language that the sheep just need a shepherd. Or in other words, that the sheep just need someone to, to guide them. And so in your daily walk, in your daily life, if, if you see someone who's helpless, and again, I'm not demeaning people. I'm just saying if people don't know the gospel, if people don't know the Jesus way, they are helpless because it's either all Jesus or no Jesus. And if they don't know the Jesus way, if they don't know how to walk humbly before God, if they don't know love the Lord your God, love your enemy and, and, and love your neighbor, they're not able to live the fullness of life. Are you with me? And so this, this idea that when we see helpless people, again, that we, we don't turn, turn away and go, oh, I'm just going to leave them in their helplessness. But that, no, we actually humbly go up to them in their brokenness and say, hey, I know you're going through this and that and, and this happened, but I'm here to lovingly and gracefully tell you there's actually a better way. And that better way is not just another concept. It's not just a new idea. It's a person that you can know. And his name is Jesus. And the last point this morning is Kyle just comes to join me to play on the keys. Last point this morning, laborers, how do we become laborers? Lastly, laborers live on assignment. Laborers live on mission. You know, there are many different types of people in this room today. There are people who work full time. There are parents. There are those who are studying full time. You know, we're all, we're all busy. Life's happening at a rapid pace. And maybe if we're even not busy, we're caught up in the Western world where it's just like fill your life with stuff and keep going and, and just keep just charging forward and fill your time. And if you're bored, there's something wrong with you. Just, just keep going. And the difference in the Christian life is that we're aware that we only have this one life to steward, this one life to live well for Christ. And this idea that Jesus paints in this passage in the last verse, in verse 38, he says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so it's this idea that we wouldn't just live life aimlessly, but that we would live life on purpose, that we would live life on mission. It doesn't mean forsake our jobs. It doesn't mean forsake our families. That's also un-Jesus-like. <laughs> what it means is that as we live, we're conscious and we say, God, I have work today. God, I've got to raise my family today. God, I've got to go to uni today. God, I've got these errands to do today. God, I've got this, this and that. But Lord, as I go about my business, let me see harvest today. Let me see an opportunity to bring about harvest today. Lord, I pray that you would bring someone into my world that I can bring the gospel. Father, I pray for my family members. I'm not just going to a family gathering. I'm going on mission, on purpose, looking for a moment, looking for an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. You know, in the last few months, God's really been stirring me to, to, to if I'm going to preach this, I, I better start practicing it. You've got to practice what you preach, preacher. You better do your thing, you know. Don't just preach and not do it. And so I've been, for the last few months, I've been praying, God, bring opportunity. God, bring, bring moments where I can show your gospel, where I can declare to people. God, I want to pray for people in the street. I want to tell them the good news. And the other night, it was really late at night. It was Tuesday, and I'd forgotten to fill up that day. I was like, oh, man, got to get that Tuesday discount on the, at the fuel station. <laughs> got to go. And uh, late night, 11 o'clock at night, I'm filling up. And I'm walking in and I notice this elderly lady 
and she's limping quite quite bad like really like wow that's that's like not that's just not normal that's that's quite a limp and she pays for her uh well she actually didn't pay for fuel she was actually going there to buy cigarettes and i was right behind her and i paid for my fuel and by the time i turned around she'd only taken two steps not out the door just in the store it was it was tragic how how um disabled she was to be able to to walk so i went up to her and i was like okay this is my moment it's my opportunity living on harvest living on mission i'm like hey can i help you and it was so good. She actually was like, oh, thank you. Like, I really do need help. She wasn't like, you know, abusive or anything. I was like, thank you, Jesus, for this moment. And so I literally just put her, uh, you know, we locked arms like we're doing the, the hoe down and we're just kind of walking to her car. And I got to her car and uh, it, it took us a long time. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm just saying that to say that it was, it was, she was in a lot of pain. And she only came to the fuel station to buy cigarettes. I said, hey, what's, what's going on? And she said, oh, I broke my hip two days ago. And uh, I'm just so desperate for cigarettes that I just I had, to, I had to leave. I had to go and, and get them. I said, oh, man, that's, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry for you. I said, hey, this, this I did the classic line. This is going to sound weird, but I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe he still heals today. I believe that God still loves people, that he wants to redeem people, set people free. And uh, would it be okay if I, if I prayed for you? She's like, oh my gosh, yes, I would, I would totally love that. And I had this amazing opportunity to pray for this lady, Jane was her name. And I'm praying for her and I'm praying that her hip would be healed. And then I was like, God, I also pray for her, her cigarette addiction. Lord, I just pray that that be gone in the name of Jesus, that she wouldn't have to smoke another cigarette again. And then I finished my prayer. She said, thank you. And she said, Jane, I just got to let you know, God loves you. He loves you so much. He, he, he died for you. He, he wants to know you. And if you would give him his life, he'd give you everything of him to you. I hope you have, I hope you have a great rest of your night. And I'll see you later. And that was it. That was my moment to be on mission, to be on harvest. You know, the Bible says that some sow seeds, some water, and some reap a harvest. And in that moment, I just sowed seed. That's all I did. And someone's actually going to come along because God is faithful to the seed that is sown. He doesn't leave the seed that's been sown. Someone else is going to come along and water that. And then someone else one day is going to reap that harvest, meaning that she's going to be at someone else's church. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. She's going to be in eternity. That's my prayer, that she would come to the realization that she needs to repent of her ways and follow Jesus. That's all it means to live on mission. It doesn't mean that you have to preach a 40-minute sermon on the street just means when you see a moment where you see helplessness, where you see brokenness, where you see sheep that don't have a shepherd, don't judgmentally, don't unlovingly go up to them. Go humbly in grace, just as Jesus would, and say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Can I talk to you for a moment about this person called Jesus?